I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. It's The Scoop with Darren Dookie Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. And away we go on this late Saturday afternoon, the 24th of April. The year is 2021. This is Scoop Podcast episode 346. Some notes, then some conversations on the notes front. So Orlando Brown Jr. on Friday, big NFL trade. It goes from the Ravens to the Kansas City Chiefs. I feel confident, something I addressed on this podcast going back weeks, that the Vikings did talk to Baltimore. The Vikings did show at least a little bit of interest in Brown Jr. But in the end, I am led to believe from multiple contacts, the Vikings didn't even come remotely close to completing a trade for Orlando Brown Jr. When you consider he is entering the final year of his deal, he is due big-time money. He has unbelievable leverage right now, him, his agents. You know, you think about the cost it would have taken for the Vikings to acquire him, then on top of that, needing to pay him. I just don't get the sense that Rick Spielman was willing to do that in the end. So just know this, the Vikings didn't come even remotely close to making a move for Brown Jr. I've been asked a lot about Eric Fisher. Nothing yet. Now, the Vikings have a great relationship with his representation. So those talks maybe happen at some point. He's coming off a torn Achilles in January, realistically speaking. Will he be ready by September? Now, maybe by October or November. Maybe it's a 10-month injury, not an eight-month or nine-month injury. Good left tackle there on the market. So maybe the Vikings at some point show some interest, but so far, zero interest shown by the Vikings in Eric Fisher. I've been asked about Mitchell Schwartz. So he's coming off the back injury. I'll just say this. I would be shocked. I would be floored if Mitchell Schwartz ends up here in Minnesota. We'll leave it at that. On Russell Okung, a free agent, left tackle, the Vikings have shown interest in in the past. Remember, they made him a nice offer before they ended up securing Riley Reef a number of years ago in free agency. Nothing cooking on Okung. The Vikings have not shown any interest to date. Could that change? After the draft, potentially. But right now, as we sit here on the 24th of April, nothing cooking. The Vikings and Okun. Come next week, we are going to get a pretty good amount of clarity on the Vikings' offensive line situation. Will they go offensive line in the first round? Will they wait until their next pick? Do they move up from 78? They've done so much homework on not only the top-tier offensive linemen, Panay Sewell, Rashawn Slater, Vera Tucker, you know, Rick Spielman was at all those pro days. They've done Zoom interviews. They've gotten to know not only those prospects, but those close to those prospects. They have the book on those guys, but they've done unreal work on Dylan Radins, the kid from Becker High School, North Dakota State, Spencer Brown from Northern Iowa, and a few other tackles. So one way or another, the Vikings are going to land one of these offensive linemen. Now, could they go Vera Tucker in the first round on Thursday, then move him inside to guard, even though he played some left tackle at USC, but a lot of people say he's more a guard, not a tackle at the NFL level. Could they do that? Then shift Brian O'Neill left tackle to right tackle. They could use Rashad Hill or somebody else at right tackle. 
they could do something like that. Remember, Brian O'Neill is entering the final year of his deal. The Vikings are going to extend him. The Vikings know they need to pay O'Neill. Those talks haven't picked up yet, but they will sometime soon, sometime after the draft. So if you're going to pay O'Neill anyway, heck, and you're going to have to pay him a lot of money, why not shift him to left tackle? This is something the Vikings have kicked around internally going back over a year. I know they love him at right tackle, and it's entirely possible that, you know, maybe Sewell somehow falls enough where the Vikings move up from 14, the Vikings end up with Sewell, and you have your left tackle and you keep O'Neal at right tackle. So there's all sorts of different scenarios where O'Neal could end up staying at right tackle. But I'm just telling you, I would not dismiss the possibility of him moving from right tackle to left tackle since it is something that they have discussed internally going back a while, and they plan on paying him. So if you're going to pay him, heck, you may as well put him at the number one premier position on the offensive line. So just so many different scenarios being kicked around in Egan. Transitioning now to go for basketball, Steph Mitchell, former Shakopee High School star. He is now in the transfer portal, had a good run at Boston College, a really good forward in the ACC going back multiple years grad transfer, all sorts of starting experience, played heavy minutes the last few years for Boston College. The Gophers are in on Mitchell. The problem is a lot of schools are in on Mitchell. But make no mistake, Ben Johnson and the Gophers would love to get Steph Mitchell. I know Parker Fox will be on this podcast in a bit. New Gophers forward is already working on Mitchell. They're a year apart, but they have some AAU connections. I know Parker's already working that angle, trying to get Mitchell to be his teammate. On the Wolves front, Pierre Henry. So he played college ball here in the United States, I believe College of Charleston, although I should have written that down. He ended up playing for the Houston Rockets, Gerson Rosas in the Houston Rockets 2015 Summer League. He went over to Europe. He's been a great player overseas. Good point guard. Like, he's an NBA player. I've always said there are more NBA players than jobs available. Henry is an example. So there's a report from a very credible reporter in, I believe it's Paris, somewhere in Europe. It doesn't matter the location. But he's credible. I did my homework on him. He has reported this weekend that the Wolves have made Henry an offer. Now, is it a two-way offer for multiple years? Is it they have an open roster spot? Is it the open roster spot? Heck, is it a 10-day deal just to give him a tryout? I don't think it'd be a 10-day deal because Real Madrid has reached some sort of agreement, probably a verbal, not a signed agreement, but Real Madrid has reached an agreement to have Henry for their team next season. So if he were to come over here, he would need some sort of security. So I imagine it would be an actual NBA good defender, really good defender, led the EuroLeague in steals. I'm told he does a lot of good things. This from somebody who played with him in Europe, from a scout friend of mine based in Europe, so from multiple people that know Henry's game well, I hear a lot of good things. He doesn't shoot. So when we talk about the Wolves needing shooting help heading into next season, that is not a strength of Henry's. But plus defender plus playmaker, like he's an NBA player. He's a backup NBA guard. Like, remember, the Wolves chased Campazzo last, what was it, November last year, 
in free agency. They wanted Campazzo before he chose Denver. Henry's one of the better guards in Europe now. Campazzo isn't in Europe anymore. Henry's one of the better guards in Europe. The Wolves reportedly are trying to sign him. So we'll continue to monitor his situation. But I wanted to get it out there that there is a report out there that the Wolves have made Henry an offer. I am pursuing more information on my front. I've sent a few text messages. No responses yet outside of the scout friend of mine and a player I know over there who knows his game well. If you're into prayer, say one for Wilds assistant general manager Tom Curvers. He's been on this podcast before. Hobie Baker winner back in the day in Minnesota Duluth, played in the NHL for a number of years, has had his fingerprints on many of the Wilds roster moves going back the last couple of years. He is battling inoperable lung cancer. He is not even 60 years old. It is a really sad situation. So just if you're into prayer, thoughts and prayers, all that, be sure if you're into prayer to say one for Tom Curvers. Tom, we're absolutely thinking of you. I saw the report the other day that some of Anibal Sanchez's former teams, the pitcher, have interest in him, that he's been throwing down in the Miami area, that he's going to sign with a major league organization here in the near future. It's not going to be the Twins unless something changes. But as of now, the Twins have not shown any interest in Anibal Sanchez. St. Paul Saints Television. So the opener is fast approaching. Early May, they open in Omaha. Then the home opener is on May 11th. So for TV, and I'm talking home games. So minor league baseball, it's it's an odd deal. There will be streams, video streams of their road games. But home games are going to be televised, many of them. Maybe not all of them, but many of the Saints' home games will be televised. It's it's one of those deals where, like, in Omaha, like the Omaha market has control, not necessarily Bally Sports North. I don't even know if I'm explaining that properly. But bottom line is, like, Bally Sports North, we, Hubbard Broadcasting, Fox 9, Fox 9 Plus, it's easier to secure the Saints home games than it would be the road games, just the way it's set up in minor league baseball. So anyway, Saints home games this year, Channel 45, 45 TV, we, Hubbard Broadcasting, will have the Sunday home games. That's something we've done going back years, but now being the Twins AAA affiliate, it means that much more. Fox 9 Plus is going to end up televising some number of games. I don't have the set number, but some number of games. And Bally Sports North is going to end up televising some games. So you'll end up seeing a good amount of Saints home games. Not road games. You have to chase down a web stream of the road games. But home games, you'll be able to see a lot of those on television. Kudos to Ryan Saunders, the former Wolves coach. So. Getting to know Ryan, you know, I knew his late dad, Flip, really well. You know, then developed a relationship with Ryan. We have some mutual friends. You know, Ryan went to Wyzetta High School. We've got a couple years on him, but like one of his best buddies is Spencer Tollickson. Spence and I go back many years. So I've developed a relationship with Ryan on a personal level. So we've talked a number of times going back many years. We end up inevitably talking about our families. So he knows about my older son, Drew, some of his health battles in the last two years with Lyme disease, with some other stuff. Thankfully, Drew's in a really good spot right now. But anyway, 
we ended up talking, I don't know, a handful of weeks ago, and I told him about Drew playing some three-on-three basketball. So his Hopkins basketball team, they wrapped up. They actually won their tier, a state championship a number of weeks ago. But then I told him, uh, this is me talking to Ryan. I said, hey, Drew's playing some three-on-three at 43 hoops in in Hopkins for, for a few Sundays coming up. You know, like if you ever want to drop by, maybe show him some tips, you know, maybe show him some things to work on. He'd love to have you. We'd love to have you. But I didn't think that Ryan necessarily would take me up on the offer. Well, lo and behold, long story short, we ended up matching up schedules. Last Saturday, Ryan came to a local park right by our house. I offered to bring the boys, Drew and his teammates, closer to where Ryan lives. He said, no, I'll drive your way. Ends up coming to a park by our house. Put Drew and his three-on-three team teammates through an hour of drills, showed them some plays. Never once did I see Ryan look down at his phone. He was fully engaged. He was locked in on working with the four boys and giving him and them, you know, him being my son Drew and, and them, Drew's team, his undivided attention. Like, I was blown away. So just kudos to Ryan Saunders for giving up his time on a Saturday afternoon, devoting his time to, to teaching the boys some things that they could work on heading into three-on-three league play. Just a mensch. You know, Ryan's just – he's got a, a heart of gold. Frankly, him and I only caught up very briefly. It was all about the kids. It wasn't about, hey, this is a great time for Ryan and I to catch up. It was him devoting his time to the kids. But he did tell me he's going to head out to D.C. for a little bit, spend some time out there with his wife and his two kids. And I think it's a stone-cold lock. He's going to end up on some NBA team's bench for next year. He has so many contacts in the league that he'll end up with an assistant coach's job that that he's a coach. He wants to coach. He's not interested in doing TV next year, taking a year off, that that there's enough people he has contacts with in the league that it seems like it'll happen, that Ryan is going to be on some team's bench. I did put some pictures on my Instagram, Doogie Wolfson, shameless plug Instagram, and on my Twitter, DWolfson, KSTP. So again, Ryan, thank you, thank you, thank you. I mean, the boys are still talking about how a former NBA head coach spent time with them. So super cool of Ryan to do. All right, let's get to the first of a few conversations we'll have here on Scoop Podcast episode 346. Some NFL draft talk with my buddy Thor Nystrom. He works for NBC Sports Edge. That's the former Roto World. He's an MB, an NFL draft aficionado. Like he lives, eats, breathes, sleeps. Like his whole life is evaluating NFL draft prospects. So Thor and I went back and forth a few days ago for about 45 minutes, some hardcore NFL draft talk, obviously slanted a lot toward what the Vikings could end up doing, 10 picks. The Vikings have 10 picks, six in rounds three and four. They have the number 14 overall pick in the first round. So here's my NFL draft conversation from a few days ago with Roto World. If you go to Roto World, it still exists, but technically they changed their name. NBC Sports Edge, NFL draft expert, Thor Nystrom. 
Thor, I appreciate your time. I know you're what you're lathered up. Hopefully, hopefully you're not, you know, inebriated. Although who knows for sake of a podcast, maybe you being inebriated might make for, for a more enjoyable conversation. Let me, let me start with this. So like for me, this, this pre-draft process compared to other years, way more challenging just from this standpoint. Like if you go back the team, I cover obviously the Vikings, the Minnesota Vikings, you go back any number of years, if you look at their history of, of guys they brought in on top 30 visits, they end up either drafting those guys, signing a lot of those guys as undrafted free agents. But this year, this COVID year, no pre-draft visits, no private workouts, no formal interviews in Indianapolis at the combine. So like from my standpoint, way more challenging. The Vikings can do what we're doing right now, having a Zoom conversation. They've done many Zoom conversations with prospects, heck, with some prospects multiple times, right? It's easy. Like, just flip on your computer, away you go. So, like, for me, Thor, incredibly challenging. How about from from your standpoint, like, when evaluating the LSU wide receiver, right? He opts out last year. The Oregon tackle, right? He opts out last year. Did the Northwestern tackle, whether he did or not, I think he opted out, but whether he he did or not, there's some really, really good prospects that didn't play in 2020. I think about Ellerson Smith, a Minneapolis kid from Northern Iowa. Thor, I was with him last, I guess it would have been Monday, at his gym in Minneapolis, Los Campianos. He got in a great workout there on Franklin Avenue. Great gym. He didn't play, right, in 2020. The last time he played because of Northern Iowa's setup where they didn't play in the fall, last time he really played in a game was 2019. I'm not counting Mobile, the senior bowl. So, like, just how how challenging has this pre-draft, that's a really long way, long-winded way, of me getting to my inquiry, but how challenging has, has this pre-draft process been for you compared to other years? It, it's super difficult. And and your, your point's really well taken. And in addition to the factors that you mentioned, which is a lot, right? It compromises our ability to get the full complete data set on all these kids. You didn't even mention what to me is the biggest one, which is that, you know, the most important thing that you parse with these players and the most important thing that they're giving to the NFL during sort of this job application process that is the pre-draft process is their last year of tape. And, you know, like you started to get into the opt outs, but like it's 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 super extensive, you know, like, you know, just that you have this enormous amount of players that, that, that didn't play. And then most of the other guys, their season was truncated in some way, whether because they opted out during the season or whether just because their team didn't play as many games. You know, there, there are some teams that only played four regular season games. And so in the past where like with most prospects, like 95 percent plus of the prospects in the class every single year, you know up until now, basically, uh, that they would have played double digit games their last season. So you would have that to parse this year. It is so much less. This is the least amount of last season tape that there has ever been, you know, in, in a singular NFL draft uh, class. And so, yes, that introduces a lot. You, you mentioned it being, uh, sort of harder, basically what that is, it's, it's a further, you have to jump further to get the projection, right? Like it's like being at the optometrist when they're, they're, they're flicking through the, the, the glasses and you're looking at the, the letters and it's blurry at the beginning. And then it starts to get, you know, clear, 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 the more information that you have on a player, the more quantifiable data that, that you have on him, the clearer that picture gets, um, without that, um, it, you know, and for, for everyone, you know, for an individual prospect, uh, to get it, you know, to clear, at least in your head where it's like, I can quantify where I want to rank this guy or like where I, I value him. You have to go further in terms of, of getting there for, from the blurry thing and not. And in this class, you have, you know, Trey Lance, you know, at start of what 16 FCS games, you know, that's a, a historic uh, sort of profile to go in, into the draft. Like we, we haven't seen 
a first round quarterback that only had, you know, 16 FCS starts his, his entire career. But, it's, you know, we have unprecedented profiles at various other positions as well. It's, it's, it's truly going to be a crazy draft. And I think the way that it manifests is because of that thing of like, where there's more projection being baked in. This isn't just someone with my job, right? Like this is, this is the people in the NFL that are doing this, right? Like um, it, it's the exact same thing because they have access to the same amount of, of data. And before, you know, in past classes, you were mentioning like, you know, you get the FaceTime with the kids, you bring them in for the team visits, you go to the, um, you know, the combine, you, you get FaceTime with them then too. That stuff is all cut down too. So, so everyone's sort of going off of this, you know, incomplete data set on, on all these different prospects. So th there's very few that have that sort of full one. They all have to do that extra leap to, to get to the projection because that, again, that picture uh, of each individual prospect that had, you know, compromised last season of, of game tape, they, they played last games. It, it's just more blurry. So I, I think the way that that manifests during the draft is you're going to see surprises. You're going to see guys that go a decent amount ahead of, you know, where perhaps they were projected. And then I think the opposite as well, because I, I think in the past, perhaps you would have more homogenized boards um, amongst the NFL, because again, you know, they're seeing the, you know, the same subjects clearly or more clearly in, in this case, they're all looking at the same subjects, but a lot of them have the, the blurry to get the optometrist on their profile right now. You brought up Trey Lance's name, the Minnesota kid, Marshall, Minnesota. Heck he was, he was high school teammates with blaze Andrews, really good offensive lineman. For the Gophers, I mean, at some point, maybe as soon as this time next year, we'll be talking about Blaze as as an NFL draft prospect. We're going to be talking about a couple of Gopher offensive linemen this time next year. Well, I think so. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's unbelievable how old they are. PJ Fleck loves to talk about how how young his teams have been over the years. This team with Cody Durr, like in year twelve or whatever it is, all these guys getting the free year, all these guys coming back: Connor Olson, Sam Schluter, Cody Durr. Yeah, Falele is back. and, and The, the alien is back, the mutant, Daniel Falele. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Andrews is back. So, yeah, we'll be talking about a lot of gophers moving forward, and we'll get to, to a couple gophers here uh, during this conversation, Bateman and St. Juice. But on, on the Minnesota kid, Marshall, Minnesota kid, Trey Lance, were, were you salivating watching watching the video <laughs> from, from his second pro day? Did I see on Twitter you, you likened his arm to, to what, a bazooka? It is a bazooka. Yeah. I mean, like he's to me, it, and this is even quantifiable in the data. When you look at like the air yards, um, he has a stronger arm than, than Zach Wilson and Justin Fields. And it's for me, it's just South of, of Trevor Lawrence. And so, yeah, the, the, the bazooka was, and it was on full effect, full, dis, full display today, but it's, it's nothing that you did not see in the tape. We, we know that he could throw it 60 plus yards, like in the air. And that's, you are, you immediately enter the, you know, sort of the, the top of the, you know, NFL, you know, in terms of like arm straight, like the upper echelon. Um, and he has a chance to have one of the strongest arms in the NFL for sure. Speaking of, of salivating, I think the, the new Vikings offensive coordinator, Gary Kubiak's son, Clint Kubiak would salivate at the possibility of being able to coach Trey Lance. But, but the buzz is the Vikings have told people, including those in Fargo, that, that he's not falling to us at pick 14. We would have to move up probably move up a number of spots. So I'm not saying like 0% chance, but, but it's incredibly unlikely, but, but looking at the Vikings overall, it's what 10 picks. They have six picks in rounds three and four. Like if you're Rick Spielman, I'm sure you would take his, his paychecks, but if, if you're Rick Spielman, like how do you look at having 10 picks in, in this draft? Well, what, what's interesting about it is, you know, going back to the other idea of, of how this is going to be a wonky draft. And, you know, it, it's like the, the guys that um, do the best with their reads are, 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 are going to be in a position to just 
pluck up steals, I, I think this year. And so like, um, if, you know, especially if he has a good read on the board, they're in a good spot uh, again, because the, the, you know, the band of some of these prospects, it's further the, the draft outcome band, you know, heading in it's further than we've seen in the past because of the idea I was just talking about. And so like, you know, Spielman, uh, there's some things of, of course you can disagree with, with, you know, the way that he runs the team and, you know, some of the different things he's done, but one thing that he's done a very good job of in, in recent drafts is that accrual of the extra picks. Um, and then like you saw last year, like they had, how many picks did the Vikings have? They had a ridiculous amount of picks. Was it 15? It, I mean, it, it was like was, a war chest of these things. Yeah, it was it, unbelievable. It was crazy. And then like, you know, when you're in a position where you've sort of accrued that excess, they, they were able to do what they did, which is like, you can do the thing of like, okay, we have an extra six. We'll trade you for the fifth next year. Right. And so they did a couple of those, which gives them a, a, another war chest, this, you know, in, in this process. And again, just, you know, just because of the bands of these players, like I'm sure the Vikings have done a ton of work, but you are going to be in a good position in, in the mid to late rounds, but potentially to take guys that, that should have gone a bit higher. If, if indeed the, the draft ends up, ends up shaking out the way that I think it will. What about this idea? So the Vikings have its six picks between 78 and I wrote it down 143. What if you did this though? So, you know, I brought up the possibility of, of the Vikings would have to move up to get Lance. What about moving up for the Oregon left tackle? That, that is the pronunciation. Is it Panay Sewell? Am I saying it right, Thor? Close enough. Yep. Panay that's Sewell. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Panay right. Sewell. He's the consensus number one left tackle in this yep. draft. Heck, you can speak about this better than I can, but like, is he maybe the best left tackle prospect going back one year, two years, three years? I mean, going back many years, he's he's right up there. You can you can touch on that in a second. But what about this idea? You take pick fourteen, you need to take the twenty twenty two first round pick, but then you add in whether it's pick seventy eight or you know a pick or two between seventy eight and one forty three. Those six picks that they have, and get up to number six to Miami. That Miami at six is a logical trade partner. That Miami can move back again. Miami needs probably what a wide receiver. That that there will be a number of wide receivers on the board at 14. That Miami could move back eight spots. That's a that's a deep drop, but they could move back eight spots, still get a pretty good wide receiver, get the Vikings 2022 draft pick. The Vikings get up for, for the number one left tackle, maybe the best left tackle of the last few years, because Cincinnati at five in my scenario, goes with the wide receiver from LSU, Chase. So so Sewell then is sitting on the board at pick six. Would you do that if you were the Vikings? I wouldn't just because I always want to protect that future first. And and what you're saying, that would be the cost, right? Like we, we saw what the cost was for, you know, going from 12 to three, which San Francisco did, which was two future first plus the third this season. So, you know, I mean, making a similar jump, it's, it's you know, gonna, you're, you're going to have to give up the, the future one at least. Um, and, and then, like you talked about, some extra picks. It's not then that I would do it, but there's a scenario where Sewell, like a couple different iterations of, of mocks that you've seen that, that are realistic. You could see teams making uh, these sort of decisions. There's a couple different scenarios where Sewell falls through the cracks a little bit to, you know, more like the, you know, nine, 10 kind of a range. I think that's when I would potentially strike if, if, you know, if he was down there, because you won't have to give up that future first. And as long as I can keep that future first, especially because uh, I'm not too bullish on the Vikings chances next, next year, sorry, Minnesota, but it, as long as I can keep that first, um, th then, you know, I, I'm absolutely willing uh, to do it. And, you know, next season, if they, if they wanted to, you know, in the, in the draft, the, the Trey Lance idea is, is more, um, 
further out there for me. You know, I, I, I don't know that they would do that, but like the, the Sewell thing I, I could actually see. And again, saving your first round pick, that allows you potentially to get into the quarterback derby next season. Don't you think though, like, let's say you need to get up. So Sewell falls now in your scenario. Okay. So he falls past six. It's who Detroit at seven. So Detroit, you can make a case. Detroit should go Sewell if he's sitting there, but okay. So Detroit passes on him. Carolina, I guess you can make a case for Carolina taking him at eight, but I guess he falls. Okay. So then it's George Payton, former Vikings executive. He's at pick nine. If he hasn't moved up for a quarterback. So you're saying to get from 14 to nine, you wouldn't have to give up the 2022 first. I don't think so. Uh If there is a way to get up to nine by not doing that, that surprises me. I mean, like from 14 to nine, I, I think that that, yeah, I, I think that's doable without the, the first next season. Now, the, the tricky thing, of course, becomes that the Vikings already burned their their second round pick. They, they just flush it down the toilet with that Ngakwe thing. They, they do have the extra third, but that is a complicating factor in what I'm saying, because the obvious other you know piece, if you weren't going to give the, the first rounder would be your second. Um, so like, but, but like we mentioned before, they do have that war chest of picks. And so like, you know, it would be more of the, uh, I don't want to say poo-poo platter, but instead of giving the, you know, sort of the gold nugget of, of the first rounder next year, I, I do think potentially you could, you know, sort of pony up, you know, I don't know, three, four picks, you know, you'd have to do, I mean, probably you might have to give up both the thirds, you know, but outside of that, you know, it, it might not cost a ton more, especially like, so, so consider this scenario, right? Like, you know, in, in dealing with Patton, dealing with Denver, um, a couple of their position needs, like they need a linebacker for sure. And they need a corner for sure. Right. Well, they might, we don't know, but they may have fallen in love with Micah Parsons already. And if they did, um, th- this would be a scenario where they would be, uh, how would you say, where they're incentivized to make a trade? Because if they don't take Micah Parsons, um, if he, you know, if he gets there to, to nine and, and, and they don't take him, there seems like there'd be a really good shot that Parsons uh, falls to that 14 slot. You know, and so, th- so that's the sort of thing where it's like, you know, th- both parties want to make the deal. Um, and, and so anyway, th- that's where I could see, you know, something more like that happening, but yeah, I, I don't have any interest in, in giving up my first rounder next year. If, if I'm the Vikings, cause it, it could just be too valuable. You know, like the Texans are like sitting here, they should have been in the third slot. They're just kicking themselves, you know, for, for doing that or whatever. Like, I, I just don't like to trade those premium picks in, in the future. Okay. So Spielman was, was in Eugene a couple of weeks ago for, for Oregon's pro day. How, how good is Sewell? Like. The word is he can play in just about any scheme. So, so the Vikings zone blocking scheme, he'd be a fit, maybe a great fit, or who knows, maybe there's a scheme that's a better fit for his skill set, but that he would, he would absolutely fit in what the Vikings are trying to accomplish from an offensive line standpoint. His pro day numbers jumped out to me, but I'm a novice when, when it comes to analyzing pro day numbers, but like how, how good is he? When, when I bring it up, like, is he, if you go back three or four years, where would he rank in terms of left tackle prospects? Yeah, so I've been I've been doing like the the draft rankings now for this is either my fourth class or my fifth class. So I've been doing it for four or five years. In in that time, uh, he's the most the best, I guess, offensive lineman that I've done. The, the only other guy that I put there is Quentin Nelson, but you know that's a guard, right? Um, but easily the best tackle uh, for me o- over that time. And again, I you know I, I would put him as a prospect above Nelson because of the position he plays. Um, he's a can't miss kid for sure. And, you know, just speaking to the athletic testing, he was right under a nine at, at in the RAS system, which means uh, size adjusted, um, 
going back to 1987, his size adjusted athletic composite score is essentially the 90th percentile. And it, it's, it's important to talk about this with offensive Liba with regards to the Vikings. Cause as you know, uh, they're not going to take a guy anymore. That's like below the 70th. It was like Pat Elfly. That was it. It's like, we're done with that. You know, the, the Kubi X came in and it was like only, you know, 90 plus athletic guys going forward. But obviously that, you know, to do that, you cut yourself off from a lot of the kids because you're only going for the most athletic ones. And invariably you, you, end up going with with projects and some of them work like like o'neill uh some of the other ones don't uh, beavers and clevins and we you know, we go on and on with that and bradbury that was it wasn't even that wasn't even a, a i mean like they talk about the first round pick right so like um that's why we have a need here again and um and sewell certainly works so does slater you know i mean like talk about guys that are, are, are going to fit this scheme so you know, if, if they want to take that tackle, I would certainly advise them to. Um, there's multiple options in, in, you know, where they're going to be picking for sure. On Slater, how long are his arms? And that's that's about as deep a dive as I'll go on, on really nitpicking <laughs> these draft prospects. But I know the Vikings really like their offensive linemen to have long arms. Somebody said to me, you should look at Slater's the length of his arms. And I don't even know. That's why I'm asking you. That's why I have you on here, Thor. Yeah. So, like, so this is where does Slater is, measure up arm length wise? This is off memory, but I believe it was 33 flat, um, which like in, in terms of, of his arm length and his, you know, just frame or whatever, it's basically just about league average for guards in the NFL. And so like, um, you know, it, specifically the reach thing, you know, it, it would be nice if you had longer arms, you know, in terms of the projection to tackle. But I will say, um, unlike, for instance, Elijah Vera Tucker, who, who is another name that the Vikings could potentially look at, uh, who, who struggled on the perimeter in in, in college, like they, they, they brought Tucker from guard to he played left tackle last year for USC and was mostly good at it until he, he ran into Mr. Kayvon Thibodeau and Oregon in the uh, Pac-12 title game. And then he was just a turnstile as opposed to that uh, the the thing that you like about Slater for a guy that has you know sort of non ideal length is that we saw him shut down a procession of stud edge rushers in in the Big 10 like one after the other um I mean, like go down the line, uh, Chase Young, that was probably the only day you need to hear here where Slater gave Chase Young the hardest time that anyone gave him in, in college. But like, you know, the, the other kids too, like Willikiss and um, you, you think of some of the best edge rushers in the, the Big Ten the last couple of years, he he shut them down. Um, and so like I, that's why I'm more comfortable with the idea that he could stay um, at tackle. In, in the NFL. And he's, by the way, he, he's a good fit for the Vikings in particular outside of the, even the athleticism things, because the thing with Slater, that the only real question uh, that we have about his profile is where is he going to go? Is he going to stay at left tackle? Should he be a right tackle? Um, or is he an inside guy? And by the way, he could start at all three positions inside. Like he legitimately has five position versatility, but it would be nice for a team, the team that took him uh, to be able boots on the ground, N not theoretically, you know, like the, the optometrist thing we were talking about and you're just sort of guessing, but boots on the ground have uh, multiple starting offensive line positions open when he gets there, because then you can mix and match. And, and the Vikings would be a nice fit for this because if Slater comes in and he proves that, you know, he, he can stay at left tackle, whatever, and he's your best option there, you can keep the status quo on the right side. O'Neill can stay over there, you know, and, and Ezra can stay, stay at guard, whatever. But if, if, if Slater comes in and indeed it's like, oh, we don't want him on the perimeter there. Well, then you're probably going to have to kick O'Neill to left tackle and Ezra to right tackle, but great. I mean, like that's, I almost think that that's what, what it should be anyway. Like, you know, I, I would like to see Brian O'Neill get a shot at left tackle. You know, he's been great at right, but so, so that's probably why they don't want to move him, but like could absolutely do that. 
Um, so there's different things that they could do. The Vikings specifically could do with a prospect like that, just because of the situation they're in where their, their offensive line is, is so Swiss cheese like at this point. I'm with you and O'Neill. And I mean, that's something that they have kicked around internally for a while, but he is so good at right tackle. Do you really yes. want to F with that? But like he's entering the final year of his contract, as you well know, Thor, the plan is for them to pay him. Now talks haven't picked up, they yet, should. but the plan is to keep him here for many more years. They are going to pay him. So heck, if, if you're going to pay Brian O'Neill just off the charts money, heck, why not have him protect Kirk Cousins' blind side? So that's a possibility. I would not rule out. I would be surprised if Ezra Cleveland is moved to left tackle, but I would not necessarily sure. rule out, depending on how on how next week plays out. If if they can get their hands on the Oregon kid, great. If they can get their kids on uh, hands on on Slater, great. If they can get their hands on uh, Orlando Brown Jr. and a trade with Baltimore, great. But yeah. but if those possibilities don't come to fruition, yeah, I mean O'Neill at, at left tackle, I would not I would not dismiss that possibility. I think that's one of many possibilities that they've kicked around internally on a little bit more on Slater. Any tape? I don't know if Northwestern and Michigan played in 19 because that would have to be a crossover game West and East, but, but like Quiddy pay the, the Michigan pass rusher is a popular name in some mock drafts that pick 14 to the Vikings, certainly a, a positional need. Like, is there any Slater pay tape out there? And, and I guess just give us a little bit on, on quitty pay. Yeah. I, I don't know if they played in, uh, in 2019. Um, can't place it in my memory. Um, but, uh, that, that certainly would have been interesting just because it uh, pays ludicrous, uh, athleticism his, his ludicrous athletic profile. Uh, I, I think, you know, for me pays the best edge rusher in, in the class. And, you know, the, the biggest reason why is just, you know, I can talk about like upside, whatever, like, uh, he has some, um, some quirks of his game and, 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 and with the athletic profile that um, are just really, really high end. And in conjunction, it sort of makes it scary when you think of like, you know, if he is able to um, sort of realize that potential, like this is a kid that came from Rhode Island. Like, you know, I mean, like, you know, his family came over from like Guinea. Right. And then they settled in, in Rhode Island and he didn't start playing football right away. And like, he was a three-star recruit was overlooked, you know, because I, mostly because he was, he was in Rhode Island or whatever, obviously didn't have, you know, play great competition there. And so Michigan basically had to teach him everything, but it's a perfect frame. You know, I, I don't, I don't have in front of me, but like, you know, six, four, two seventy five, somewhere in that range. And then it's, he has, he has this ridiculously uh, sort of muscled up and explosive lower half, you know, and he's built really, st I mean, like, you know, j just in terms of muscular musculature. And so he, he has a tremendous get off, just so explosive get, gets on you really quick, but the power element as well, wh which you see manifest at times, both in terms of like setting the edge and stuff like that, the bull rush, and then the, the conversion of speed to power, you know, just how quick he gets off the line. And then he, I mean, like in a big package, so he can get on you really quick. The other thing, like with a guy like that, like sometimes you see like that, the muscled up guys, you know, even the explosive guys, but there's, um, I guess you would say like a, a stiffness element to them. You know, some of those guys that, uh, they, they aren't able to play low, you know, you know, maybe where they, their sort of deficiency is it's like in, in the hip flexion thing or whatever. He's not one of those guys though. Like he's, he's, he's an elite athlete and all these different things where he's like on the Bruce Feldman freak list uh, multiple times, but like he also plays extremely low. So it's like, he's always firing out like a bullet, like really low. I um, mean, he just gets on offensive linemen so fast and he'll steal that edge from you. 
Um, and so you have to account for that. You know, it's like a, a pitcher with multiple pitches, you know, that are, are really good. Like you can't just sit on one thing. Um, the, his power is, is vaunted and, and sort of scary that, you know, the, the sort of industrial spring thing he does off, off of the snap um, and, and being able to get low in terms of the bull rush. Like, you know, not everyone at the big Ted could deal with that. Just, just the bull rush, right. Just the power coming. Um, but again, you can't just sit back on that um, because he'll steal the edge on you really quick, bend it, get low um, and just steal it, get, get right around and direct path to the quarterback um there's still rawness to his game of course like you know again like you know this kid was just inexperienced and even in the, the rhode island thing in conjunction with that just hadn't played much you know top competition but getting better and better and again you, you look at like the, just the ceiling sort of thing of of all the different edge guys I, I don't think that anyone can match him in in this class would he be your guy then if he's sitting there at 14 if slater and sewell are are long gone and who who is the first defensive player off the board? I mean, you brought up Parsons' name briefly, Michael Parsons, the linebacker from Penn State. We just talked about pay. There's some good cornerbacks, right? I guess Sertain, the third, uh, the Alabama kid, I guess maybe would be atop that list. So who is, I, I guess, two-parter? Do you take pay at 14 if you're the Vikings? And who who is the first defensive player off the board? So for me with the Vikes, like uh, I wouldn't just because like, I, I think the offensive line need is that acute. And if I didn't do that, um, there's a real chance that I would take uh, one of the corners in, instead, you know, like if, if it just turned out that more offensive linemen were going above me, um, that probably means that one of those, you know, elite cornerbacks gets pushed down just a little bit. And so you might have a shot at a guy like, like JC Horn, that would probably be my audible, you know, for, for this sort of a thing, but pay certainly, I mean, you know, should, you know, absolutely be on the short list, you know, of, of guys they're investigating. Absolutely. Um, and then the, as far what was the other question again? Well, a, would you take pay at, at 14 and, and you just laid out that, that you probably would. And, and, and B, who is the first defensive the first player defender, that's right. off the um, board? Because I don't know. I mean, the mocks I look at, Thor, I mean, it's all over the place. I mean, one yeah. might might give you Parsons. One might give you certain. I don't know. There's there's multiple options there. I, I don't know if I'd put money on any one on any one answer. Yeah, I so I you know I think the the best odds of it are are probably Sertan um, because he's got a couple different uh, bites of the apple that that he could have between um, you know eight and ten I suppose um, I don't think there's going to be a defender that goes before that um, and it may not be till ten there will be a defender going Ted though because uh, Dallas needs a, a cornerback just desperately and so that that would be the latest it happens but I, I think Sertan would be the most likely. And Parsons could, he, he's the only one that I think could potentially upset him. I, I just don't see an edge rusher getting up there. And you, to, to go ahead of Sertan, you're going to have to go in the top nine. I, I think the only other guy that potentially makes sense for that is Parsons. And, and it, you know, it falls under the auspices of the idea we were talking about before that Denver might fall in love with him and then they might just take him there. Um, but for me, it's, it's going to be one of those two guys that goes first. And I, for, for like, I, I think it's going to be Sertan, but if he's upset by one guy, it's, it, it's because of Parsons and, you know, the, at nine, the, the Broncos take him. I'll hit you on four guys with local ties and then I'll send you on your way. Let's start with Rashad Bateman, Gophers wide receiver. A, yes or no, does he go in the first round? And if he doesn't, I mean, I'm not quite sure he gets much beyond what, pick 40? Or 45 and how much you just do you like Bateman as as a prospect 
I like him a ton. Yeah. And, 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 and I agree with that. Like, I, I do think he's going to go in the first round um, if he somehow falls out of it, but which by the way, would be the, that's on the NFL. That's not on Rashad Bateman, but if somehow he falls out of it, he's going very quickly on, on Friday night. But I, I do expect at the end of the day that he'll be a first round pick. He is a first round pick. He's a first round talent. He'd be showed over, over multiple uh, years, multiple seasons in multiple different spots, by the way, uh, and not playing with the best uh, quarterback either. You know, I, I'd say, you know, sorry, Tanner, but like, um, and so he, you know, Bateman did it on the outside in 2019 was one of the best outside receivers in the nation. Uh, and then in 2020, he was forced to play the slot, it, you know, probably against what he would have liked, but you know, he came back after planning to opt out, uh, and they shoved him into that, that Tyler Johnson role or whatever. And he didn't look quite as good as he did on the outside, but then again, he, he didn't think he was going to be played up, up there till the end that he had to learn a new position that was, uh, not the best thing for him. In my opinion, you know, th- there's some people that think he should play in the slot. I, I just totally disagree. I, I think he's absolutely a boundary receiver at the next level and i think that plays his talent you know his, his skills up um because he's a guy who's just awesome off of the line like in terms of like his footwork and he ended up the, the one surprise about his pro day the, the, the great thing about it was he tested you know put to bed the athletic uh concerns that people had but the the weird thing about it was uh he'd been listed at 6'2 210 throughout his gopher career and uh somewhat someone in the office over there at the gophers was doing a little exaggerating there uh because he he measured in and i i think it was like six foot 190 and then he told reporters that that he felt the best uh both in terms of the position he played but also at the the top weight he played at in 2019 and and the nate the the weight that he cited was 198 uh so i, I don't know that rashad baby was played over 200 uh you know in, in in college a ton like he was listed but either way he has it's not just the footwork you know he's a former basketball player so he's basically just you know breaking people's legs off off the line etc but guys that try to jam him in addition to that uh, the other issue for them is the strength he has off of the line and so even even though he weighed a little bit less i'm actually not concerned by that because the the play strength in conjunction with the footwork gets him off the line every single time and you're playing with real fire if, if you want to stay up and and fight with him in, in the first five yards and people in the nfl will be too um because it's you know, again both the strength and, and, and the footwork thing and then one once he gets out in the open field, you know this doogie that the ball skills are insane. They're they're absolutely insane. Rashad Bateman made catches that uh, I didn't even think was possible. Like he he caught that one against uh, South Dakota. It might even been with his left hand, but it, it was the, the one handed catch, you know, on, on the sideline or whatever, where he's like running full stride. He just plucks the ball with one hand and then just you know strolls into the end zone. Like you you don't see. Uh, stuff like that. And he made a bunch of catches like that. So, so in terms of the ball skills and in, in terms of those things that we're talking about, the, the ability to get separation every single play uh, because of his route running specifically his, his footwork, but then also the, the strength in conjunction with that um, easy first round player for me. And there's several teams that he makes a lot of sense with Baltimore, I, I, I think would be a tremendous fit. And then I, I so hesitate to say this because this would absolutely break my heart, uh, but maybe the best fit for Rashad Bateman would be Green Bay. Yes. And, I, I'm with praying you. for yes. it. I'm I want that to happen. It. Yes, yes, yes. I, I don't want that Pick to happen. Yes. No, that's a nightmare. That's a nightmare. No, I we want that want to that. happen. I'm, I'm a storyline. Give me the, give me the juiciest storyline. That, <laughs> that makes sense to me. Like I know the Packers really like him. Yeah, why not? But yeah, Baltimore, Tennessee's another. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. one of those teams at the bottom of the first round. For sure. Yeah, I mean, if you get maybe, there, it, maybe it's bias. Maybe it's being selfish because. I like the kid and, and have a little bit of a relationship with him. But yeah, I hope I hope he becomes the first gopher since who? Lawrence Maroney, way back when. Guys have come close, right? Winfield Jr. And, and Winfield Williams. Jr. should have been a first-round pick. Yeah, and Rashid Hageman. Like, gophers have come close to being a first-round yep. pick, but it's been a long time since a gopher has gone in the first round. So yeah, selfishly, I'd, I'd love to see it with, with Bateman. You're right. It was, it was South Dakota State. It was a night game. 
shameless plug, one of our photojournalists, I can't remember if it was Scott or Jeff, but was literally right there. We have the video. If, if you Google Rashad Bateman, I've done a few Q&As with Rashad going back the last six months. If you do a KSTP Google search, I, I use some of that B-roll over the top of, of, of one of my Rashad Bateman interviews. It's, it's yeah, I mean, you described it, Thor. It was, it was one-handed. It was, and he was a true freshman, correct me if I'm wrong. He was a true freshman. To make yeah, that so. catch, it was, it was off the charts. All right, the other top Gophers draft prospect, top draft prospect is, is Ben St. Juiced. Over, under, pick 90. So you take the under or the over pick 90. And is, is he a is he a cornerback or is he a safety at the next level? So I would go on that. I always have to remember if it's like you know if it, the, the over the under with the draft slots. It, you know, it gets it gets confusing. I would go with the uh, under, which means that I think he's going to go uh, higher than that, right? Or like er- earlier than that. Yeah. So you uh, think he's going to go? Like I know the Vikings. Yeah. Their their third round pick is pick seventy. So I don't remember if ninety is ninety at the tail end of the third round or maybe it's. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, Maybe yeah, but you know, yeah, like somewhere. you know, six picks before the comp pick, something like that. Okay, yeah. so you think you think he's going in the third round? I do. Yeah, it, it's just um, and 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 I'll say at first, I I you know, as as a sort of preface, I don't like him as much as you know, especially in, in conjunction with other people's opinion, as I did with Bateman. Um, but I do think he's going to go there because the combination of uh, length, uh, the build, and the athleticism. Um, and then, of course, we've seen it on tape a bit, right? Like you've seen some of the proofs of concept of, of things that he can do on the tape. I, I think that's going to convince someone that the ceiling is high enough uh, to, 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 you know, to, to go in there um, because, you know, you have these teams that have the, the, the corner. I mean, like the Vikings are a great example, a team that has, a, 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 you know, an acute cornerback need potential, especially, you know, if, if the Gladney thing doesn't go well, they have an acute, you know, need there. And you know, probably won't take one in the first round, you know, barring something, you know, weird happening or Sertan falling, like something like that. And so a team like that, uh, as opposed to like in, in the late third round, you can take one of the, uh, you know, like lower uh, athletic, uh, but feisty sort of slot corner guys. You could do the low upside thing and try to do that or else you could shoot the moon on a guy that could potentially be a long-term starter. And that's, that's why I think he gets there uh, because I, I think a team's going to shoot the moon on him, uh, you know, late, late day two, uh, if they didn't get their cornerback in the first round. But as for me, I, I, I see him getting um, seating separation too much opening up throwing windows and um, leaving himself susceptible to getting burned. And I, I think like the, you know, we're, we're sort of the, the talent discrepancy uh, uh, changes between the big 10 in the NFL, as far as like movement, the short area movement and stuff, this stuff didn't manifest to hurt him as much on, on campus as I believe it will in the NFL. Um, your safety idea is interesting. Um, it, that's one thing that mitigates the risk a bit for sure. Um, because like, you know, for me, I, 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 I'm not positive that he hangs like, like I'm not. Um, but some players that if they don't, you know, succeed at that specific position, they're dead. They have one shot. Right. But then you have other guys like, uh, you know, in this case, uh, St. Juice, where it's like if he doesn't, uh, you know, if, if cornerback becomes non-viable, he's absolutely going to be tried at safety. So he's going to get two shots to fail. All right. Dylan Raddins, Becker High School, played for the legendary Dwight Lundeen, North Dakota State. If the Vikings go defense with their first pick, again, admittedly biased, but I'd love for them to find a way. Now, I think they'd have to move up from 78. So that'll be my first question over under pick 78 for Dylan Raddins. And can he play tackle? Like, is he for sure a, a tackle? At the NFL level, I talked to him maybe about two months ago. He said he's got position flexibility, but 
do you project him as as a tackle, not a guard? And and do you like the fit him him with the Vikings? So I guess there's there's a lot to unpack there, but just everything I just threw at you on on Dylan Raddins from Becker, Minnesota. I got a lot of yeses for you. Um, like, yes, he he can hang a tackle absolutely in, in the NFL. Yes, he's absolutely a fit for what the Vikings do. I, I talked to, you know before about how they fetishize the the athleticism, and um, sometimes you can even predict the guys that they're going to be on just by the RAS scores or, or the SPAR scores or whatever. Raiden's at a 9.28, so you, you know just under the 93rd percentile in terms of his, his size-adjusted athleticism. That's exactly what they're looking for. In fact, I comped him to uh, Brian O'Neill, um, and some other people I saw captive to Ezra Cleveland. So it's like, it's really right in their wheelhouse. You know, it's like the, the guy who's attracted to one specific kind of girl. And then you walk into a bar and you see her, and you're like, oh no, we're going to lose, you know, Jimmy for the night or whatever. That's like the Vikings with players like this. Um, Cosme fits a little bit as well, but like Raiden's is like right in that wheelhouse. Um, and like, yeah, you know, again, like as far as hanging a tackle at the NFL, I don't think that's going to be any problem at all. I mean, like he, he certainly has, you know, the frame for it uh, and, and the athletic profile and, and in his zone scheme, like like the Vikings have, um, I, I think that's where um, that's that's the, the sort of team that he should be going to because it's his his special sauce. It, it's the movement and the athleticism, uh, stuff like that, like protecting protecting the boundary, shuffling stuff like that. Um, not as much of the sort of road grader thing. And again, this just absolutely fits the, the profile of a of a zone blocking team, and that have the Vikings are are all the way on that end of the polarity in terms of the NFL. Fetish size, by the way, marvelous word, tremendous job using. <laughs> Using that word, all right, last one, I brought up his name, Ellerson Smith. I was with him a week ago, Minneapolis South High School, you know, two-star recruit coming out of South, you know, way to buck 90. You know, I mean, he's really worked his ass off to be in this position. Where does he go range-wise? Like, if I put the over-under at pick, pick 100. How about that? Nice round number. Pick 100, over-under, Ellerson Smith, Northern Iowa. And I mean, he told me last week, hey, you know, he played some three, four in Northern Iowa. So if some team that runs a three, four wants to use him as a three, four outside linebacker, he can do it. Or, you know, maybe he's better suited to be a four, three defensive end. So I guess, is he better in a three, four or a four, three and over under pick 100 and just your overall thoughts on Ellerson Smith? Sure. And I, I realize I think I might have forgotten to do the over under with raids. I, I go for sure under with the, the 78 and with I think with- you're right. I, yeah. I think he goes top six. He's, he's going to so go like, before that. I think the yeah, Vikings sure. are going to have to move up into the second round to get him. For sure. Yeah, he, he's he's going second. And by the way, I wouldn't even be starting to, like late first, you know, as, as one of the sort of surprise guys. I, I wouldn't, you know, bet on that. But like, well, if I got the right odds, I would. Uh, but if, <laughs> if he doesn't go first route, he, he de- in my opinion, he's definitely going uh, second round. As far as 100 with, because uh, you said 100 flat with, with Smith, right? I did pick yes. 100 over or under for Ellis. So, so that's interesting. Just for people listening, that's, um, you're, you're almost halfway through the, the third round compacts, you know, if I, I think, you know, what would sort of be that, that thing, that's a really good one. Um, Cause he's, this is another one where it's like with, with St. Juice, where it's like close. Um, but well, how about this? Does yeah. he go Friday or Saturday? So when we wake up Saturday morning, will he be among, you know, we see the, the Mel Kuyper junior, you know, best players available list. You think there's a chance we see Ellerson Smith on that list when we wake up Saturday morning, or does he go Friday night? This actually makes it even harder because now there's like four more or six more of the in the thing. Um, I, I guess like gun to my head, I'd I'd probably say Saturday, but 
it's so close to on that. I'm not going to put a gun to your head. I promise. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. I've, I've it, been it, in that scenario many a times. And <laughs> at this point I'm on like my, you know, 88th life, right? My, my brains have been blown to smithereens. That, many that, that's for in, sure. In, in, in a comparable scenario. So I, I will not put a, a gun to your head. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think you're right. I think, I think when we wake up Saturday, maybe it's just because he hasn't played since 2019. Yeah. He had a good run in mobile. He said he was happy with this pro day. I didn't study. I didn't do a deep dive on, on his pro day numbers. Great kid. Like I could see how he could blow teams away in zoom interviews, like really, really impressive young man, but, but no games in the fall. I think you might be right that, that he falls to Saturday, not like significantly far into Saturday, but you know, I think, I think he goes early fourth round, not, not third round. Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, you know, regardless of where he falls on that line, I, I think that is where the line is. And he is a player, you know, we, we talked before about the, the projection thing, you know, again, with the optometrist metaphor or whatever, like Smith is the guy that you're inclined to just make that leap of faith with him. Right. Cause you, you have the, the frame, his length is ridiculous. You know, it's, it, you know, amongst the, the both, both in terms of height, but just, you know, wingspan as well at the top of the edge class. Uh, this year and and you you started to mention the versatility I, th that was interesting what he said um because th that's another aspect of it right like in, in northern iowa i tried him at a few different spots but like um you know i don't think he's ever going to have um this the the sand in the pants to be anything outside of a perhaps a, a he could have brief flashes uh, going inside just on on passing downs uh, but like you know as, as as far as both being scheme versatile and then you know you, you mentioned uh uh, you know, like four, three, three, four versatile, you know, so, so it's like inside whatever scheme, I, I, there's going to be versatility to move him around. Uh, another thing was, he was like 95th percentile athleticism. So it's not just that he's got the, you know, this sort of F, the Trump card of like the, the length, the, the height, whatever, but then also the, you know, the athleticism or whatever. And then again, they have been trying him in, at different spots. He's a guy that I would like to have uh, come in and see and figure it out. Right. Like, um, because we got to start his development, um, you know, in, in full, you know, once he comes into the NFL, that's got to be a warp speed kind of a thing and i need to figure out really quick like at, at the nfl level what are the you know the, the things that he's going to do better than other guys initially it, it's not even the whole package it's like can we isolate these few things and then perhaps we isolate a couple things where we don't want him there like you know on the field for these these things i'm, I'm talking initially so so during you know his development you could get him into, into a situation where he's sort of a value valuable platoon guy coming in playing these very specific niches while you try to flesh out the rest of his game um and, and he makes a lot of sense for um and, and, and by the way this could be you know vikings as well where it's like they missed on that edge guy earlier in the draft or perhaps not missed but they they made different decisions right like if the vikings go you know the tackle and then maybe you know with their third round you know corner maybe they go a, another position with the other one where like if you know whether it's the, their last of the third or whether it's it's their their fourth they if, if they don't have an edge guy by that point um those are the teams that are going to start to think about ellerson smith because once you get beyond the sure things and ellerson smith is not a sure thing like that's why he's here but the the ceiling and the, the intrigue as far as the athletic package goes where you have this skyscraper that, that that's super athletic and and by the way very disruptive in in the fcs right like you know again he, he didn't play last season um and and it is the fcs so, and there's not as much experience because he, he didn't get to play last season but when he was on the field he was super duper uh disruptive so yeah I, he's a guy that i would absolutely uh bet on if, if i was going the developmental route right because instead you know at, at that spot it's the same thing that we were talking, i think it was like with cornerbacks before where like you can either shoot the moon for the upside at that point or else you can take like 
you know, just sort of, I mean, like at that point in the draft, the, the edge guys, it's going to be more like the workman, like guys that like, you know, will seal the edge, but they're, you know, they're average or less athlete kind of a guys like the, the workman like things or else you're, you can shoot the moon. And, you know, for me, I'm, I'm shooting the moon in the middle to late rounds 10 times out of 10. Thor, this was gold. Tell the audience, tell the, tell the scoop podcast faithful, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, MySpace, <laughs> tell people where, where they can find all your fine work. Appreciate you, brother. It was, it was great to chop it up with you. Um, you can only find me on Twitter. You can't even find me on Facebook, so don't even try. I, I deleted it a long time ago. But you can find me on Twitter uh, at Thorku, T-H-O-R-K-U. Uh, and then you can find my work at NBC Sports Edge, which was form, formerly Roto World. You can still type Roto World into the, the browser. still bring you there. Um, go to the um, NFL Draft College football section. I have tomorrow I'm, I'm releasing my last uh, position deep dives uh, safeties and then coming right after that. So, so that's Tuesday, I think. Yeah. Tuesday. And then coming the, the days after that, my full position rankings and then my uh, 500 player big board where I have, I have 500 comps, you know, I list them down and then all the 500 comps. And then uh, later in the week, I'm having a seven round mock. So I, I got a gauntlet of stuff coming up, come and check it out. Very nice. And then heck post draft, I have to imagine days upon days of, of postmortem, right. Of, of analysis reaction. That's right. Yeah. So like the, the, the diet is Saturday diet. It's like, I, I always do the, the snap grades right after that. So it's like, you know, it's like the three days of just pick and pick and pick. And for someone like me, like I, I'm a real junkie with this. I've been obsessed with it since I was a little kid. And so like the, the whole time it's like, you know, I'm on a sugar high with the draft. And then I, I write out the snap grades afterwards that I I'll typically pass out at that point. Um, but while looking at my, my phone, refreshing the uh, ABC, you know, what was formerly Roto world, the, the news thing. Cause I, I love to see where the UDFAs went. And so after that uh, weekend, for me, the, the next week turns into uh, analyzing the UDFA classes. Um, and so that's that's one of my favorite things I do every year where like it's a, a, sort of a sicko activity, uh, but it's it's ranking all the UDFA classes because I, th- I think that's a really important part of the process, you know, it, it, finding something for free. Um, and, and so that's, th- that's that will be my week after the draft. Thor, thank you. Thank you so much, sir. I will post another Scoop podcast before the NFL draft. That will be episode 347. Sometime early next week, Desmond Howard will be on that podcast. Former NFL general manager Randy Mueller will be on that podcast when it comes to more NFL draft analysis. Thor, thank you for your time. I put the quarter in the machine and just let him go. Thor Nystrom, based here in the Twin Cities. Really good dude. Super knowledgeable. All right, let's go from. NFL draft talk to Sam Hentges, former Moundsview high school star. It was a long journey. He was drafted in the fourth round, 2014. The Cleveland Indians picked Hentges, the 2014 Major League Baseball draft. Seven years later, he had Tommy John surgery back in 2016. He struggled at the AA level in 2019. But he has rebounded. He has finally made it to the big leagues. He made his major league debut earlier this week. He got an inning of work in against the White Sox. He had three strikeouts. And, oh, by the way, Jose Abreu, the reigning MVP in the American League, took him deep. But if you look at the video, Adam Eaton couldn't touch Sam's curveball. Yon Moncada couldn't touch Sam's curveball. The fastball gets up to, like, 98, 99 100. So Sam has a bright future, maybe more so as a starter. So he may end up back at AAA soon, stretch out, then maybe come up later in the season for the Indians as a starter, pitching now out of the Indians' bullpen. Sam Henches, I caught up with Sam 
on Friday morning to talk about how cool it was that after all these years, he made it to the big leagues. His dream is now the reality. Here's my conversation from Friday with former Moundsview High School star, now pitcher for the Cleveland Indians, Sam Hentius. Sam, congratulations on everything. Now that, that your debut is, is a few days in the rearview mirror, have you had a chance just to reflect on, on this incredible journey, how special that moment was the other night? Uh, definitely. I think um, just everybody that was involved um, in the process kind of since the beginning with my family, uh, my fiance, some of my teammates, a lot of the staff members in the Indians organization um, have, have played a part throughout the years. Um, and, and definitely now that my family has left, um, I've kind of had some time to sit back and, and reflect on it. On your family, man, I don't even know what the COVID rules are like. So after the game wraps up the other night, like, were you even able to have any interaction with them? No, I mean, they're, the, the protocols are pretty strict. They, they actually flew up to Cincinnati when I initially got called up, um, and I didn't pitch the last two games of that series. So then they had to um, – they went back to Minneapolis, and then they came back out to Cleveland for our series against the White Sox um, and, and luckily got to see me pitch. Um, but, no, I mean, outside of the field, I, I wasn't really able – to see him or hang around him, which uh, wasn't the greatest, but I, th- I think just having them there for for the game that my, I pitched into my debut was was everything that we asked for. So take me back. So it was what last Friday or Saturday, about a week ago. You get the phone call. Hey, we need you here in Cincinnati. Take me back to that phone call. Your emotions. Um, it was it was crazy. It was crazy and it was, it was very cool and awesome. Um, I got a call. I was just sitting in my apartment um, with my roommate and then it was kind of a whirlwind for about the next two days. Um, trying to get my parents out to Cincinnati, uh, my fiance out there trying to figure everything out. I had to drive down to Cincinnati. Um, protocols are a little bit different because you're traveling. Um, so kind of getting up to date with those. Um, but it was, it was, it was a whirlwind, but it was, it was very cool. Um, motions were obviously running high. I was very excited to be there. Um, and it was, yeah, it was, it was a crazy weekend. So then you get on the mound. It takes a few days, but you finally make your debut. Just what were your emotions as, as you're approaching the mound, knowing that, okay, the time is, is here. My dream is now the reality. Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, there was a lot of adrenaline going through my body, um, which was, which was good. I think, I think it helped out a lot. It was, I think it was 40 degrees outside. So maybe I needed it to keep me warm. Um, but it, I mean, it was, it, it was very surreal. Um, so I, uh, definitely a moment I, I will never forget. If I had told you let's say even one year ago, what is today? It's April 23rd. If I had told you April 23rd of 2020, coming off some of your hiccups there, the 2019 season, if I told you a year ago, that hey, guess what, Sam? One year later, you will have made your major league debut. What would you have told me? Um, I probably would have believed you. Um, I think it's, I mean, it's, it's a sport and a profession that you really have to, 
believe in yourself um, from the get-go and kind of put all your all your chips all your chips in early and all your eggs in one basket um, and and believe in yourself um, and, I, and I do that I have that confidence um, in myself to to accomplish uh, things that things that may sound crazy um, but I mean now that it's now that I have made my debut it's I mean, it's it's all up from here. Um, I'm I'm very excited to to be in the spot that I am. Where does that patience come from? I mean, some of it is the uniqueness of of baseball. I mean, it was it was what seven years ago. Like that's a really long time that you were drafted. That it took right. seven years to get to this point. You think about next week, right? Heck, right there in Cleveland, the NFL draft. A guy gets drafted, boom, right with that professional team, right? Like right to the highest of of high levels. NBA, same deal. NHL, little different, but oftentimes it's not a seven-year wait. Like after seven years, if a guy hasn't made it all the way to the National Hockey League, he may end up walking away. Maybe he continues to play minor league hockey, but you know, there's many instances where a guy walks away. Heck, with baseball, there are instances where after seven years, a guy just says, I don't know if, if this is going to happen. So like, where, where did your patience come from? Um, yeah, I mean, you're making me feel old. Uh, <laughs> seven years ago is a long time. I've, I've had a few hiccups in the minor leagues with injuries. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm still 24 years old. I'm not, I'm still considered young ish, um, to be playing in, in major league baseball, but it's, I mean, it's something I've always wanted. It's something I've always dreamed of. So I don't dreamed of, so I don't really, I mean, if I was, 29 years old, I'd probably still be pursuing the same goal um, and just trying to reach that goal and, and play in the, in the big leagues and, and try my best and do everything that I can in my power to stay there. When did it hit you, Sam, that, that professional baseball could be on your radar? I mean, was it, did you pitch for the, for the Tri-City Red? Was that your Legion team in high school, Tri-City Red? I mean, was it, was it, the summer between 10th and 11th grade, was it your senior year at Moundsview? Heck, I even remember saying, like, there were major league teams that looked at you more as a hitter, right. not a pitcher. So, like, when when did it hit you, though, whether it was as a hitter or a pitcher, hey, I can play professional baseball? Um, I think it was probably my senior season. Um, it was, like you said, there were a couple of scouts talking to me as a first baseman but there were also probably more scouts telling me your ticket's going to be as a pitcher. Um, so kind of focus on that and, and work on that this off season and try to improve the best you can um, coming into that spring of 2014. And so that's what I did. I, I tried to improve as a pitcher and went out and um, threw as more innings than I ever have in a high school season and so yeah I, I would probably say at the beginning or the summer before my senior season is when I had an idea that I could have a chance to play professional baseball where's all your velo come from so I mean I've seen some reports that you've even hit what 100 on the radar gun but consistently in the in the upper 90s like where the heck has that velo come from I think it's a combination of a lot of things um, Kind of be, being from 
Minnesota, you have the the cold weather state. Like I just said, I didn't really truly start pitching until my senior season. So I'm kind of behind a little bit as far as pitching progression goes. I have a bigger body, which usually takes longer to develop. Um, and then I had that Tommy John surgery. And there was a couple years ago where I made a couple mechanical adjustments and just working hard in the weight room over the past five, six, seven years, uh, just kind of getting a little bit stronger each off season. It's, it's been gradual. It has been a gradual uptick in velocity. And so I, I think it's a combination of all those things. And I mean, you have that nasty, it's a curveball, right? The, the curveball. Right. I mean, that, that seemed to flummox those white Sox hitters the other night. Yeah, I have made it, I, the curveball has always been my second best pitch. Um, but it, I've definitely made a couple adjustments to it the past probably year and a half that have made it um, uptick and play up a lot better. And so I'd like to use it more because it's more effective. Um, yeah. Are you long-term more, I mean, do they view you as, as a starter? So like as cool as it is right now, is there a sense that you may end up here in the near future, maybe going to AAA and, and starting some games once the AAA season starts here in May? I think that's a, that's a possibility. Um, but as of now, I'm just enjoying my time as a, as a reliever and um, being locked in every game because you never know when I could, when, when you could get the call down to the bullpen um, that I'd be in the game. Um, and, and I've wanted to pitch in the big league. So if it's as a reliever, that's awesome. If it's as a starter, that's also awesome. As long as I can pitch in the big leagues and, and whatever they need me for. How welcoming has, has the clubhouse been? How, how have your interactions been with, with one of the legends in the game, Terry Francona? Awesome. Awesome. I've spent a few spring trainings around him and around the coaching staff up there. Um, and I know a lot of the guys from playing with them throughout the years and also in spring training. So it's, they've, they've all made the transition very smooth and very welcoming. And, and I appreciate it. What are the, the perks? Like I'm, I'm even thinking like, you know, just getting some per diem and, and, you know, housing and all that stuff. Like there have to be just so many cool perks that, that, come with being a, a big league player right yeah it's I was trying to tell my family that it's it's basically everything that I have been doing in the minor leagues but across the board everything is way better there's it's it's a lot it's a lot of little things that add up um and I mean obviously just you, you're in the big leagues it, it just feels good to be in the big leagues how much of this, Sam, is as cool as this week has been that this is just one chapter in, in your baseball story that that the real key is, you know, as hard as it was to get to this point, it's to now stay at this point, that that might even be more challenging than to get to this point. Right. I think that's, I mean, that's always been the same is – it's harder to stick in the big leagues than it is to get to the big leagues. But I mean, it's just, it's a challenge that I'm ready for and, and will work hard to do um, to stay here in the big leagues, whether, like you said, as 
if it's as a starting pitcher or a relief pitcher. Um, I'm kind of here for whatever the team needs and will do everything in my power to stick in the big leagues. How challenging has the last year been just with the pandemic, with no minor league season last year? I mean, heck, even at one point, were you getting some work in at, at Minnetonka High School with Jake Irvin and those guys? So, I mean, you're over at Minnetonka getting some work in. You know, then you get the call, right? Weren't you at the alternate site? So I suppose that helped. But just the goofiness of 2020 and just all the protocols now in place, like what's it been navigating the last year? Um, it's, it's been difficult. Uh, the, the alternate site last year was definitely nice to have playing the simulated games and, and facing professional hitters. Um, I did come back to Minnesota. I believe it was May of last season or last year, 2020. And we did have a few kind of live at bats at Minnetonka high school with a lot of the pro guys in the area. There were a lot more guys than I thought played professional baseball in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, which was very cool to see. But, yeah, the alternate site was, I mean, it was just a kind of a development tool in the sense that I was there. I was getting innings in. They weren't in meaningful games. Whoever won or lost, it didn't matter. But I was facing professional hitters and kind of learning from them how they adjust to me and then how I can adjust to them in the, throughout the at-bat and throughout the game. And I suppose on the adjustments, I mean, that's an ongoing process now more so than ever. Now that that major league hitters have some fresh video of you, right? They have that video of, of you striking out Eaton, of you striking out Moncada of that curveball. that now the key from your standpoint is now you need to, you know, make some adjustments the next time you take a, a major league mound. Right. I mean, that's, that's the name of the game. It's being able to make adjustments, um, not completely change who you are as a pitcher, but be able to make adjustments throughout the game, throughout the season, throughout a week, and especially make the in-game adjustments um, throughout an at-bat or throughout an outing. Um, so it's it will be very, very interesting and very fun to see kind of how I progress and, and develop with making those just adjustments in the big leagues uh, because it's it's one of the most important parts of the game. How cool is it to be part of the Minnesota Major League Baseball fraternity? It's right now, it's it's not a lot of guys, right? Like, you know, when Glenn Perkins retires a couple of years ago and Joe Maurer retires a couple of years ago, I mean, it's not many. Like, Joey Gerber was up for a little bit with the Mariners, but he's not up now. Nick Anderson is with the Rays and one of the best relievers in the game, but unfortunately he's hurt right now, but like, it's not, it's not a lengthy list. I mean, there are a lot of guys in, in the minors, but not a lot of guys that get to the major league level. So like, how cool is it to be part of that fraternity? Uh, I think it's, it's very cool. It's an honor. I'm very blessed to be a part of that group. Um, like you said, it's, it's a little bit smaller of a list compared to like a, a California or a Texas. Um, but it, it, it is very cool to kind of be a part of that fraternity. Um, and yeah, I'm, just, I'm, I'm honored and blessed to be a part of that. And with some of the names that you said, great players, great careers, long careers. Um, happy to be even mentioned in the same sentence. 
So you had the strikeouts. I mean, the three strikeouts the other night, but Abreu, who gets a lot of guys, right? Like, he got you. I mean, the MVP. I mean, one of the best players in the game. But, like, looking back at that pitch, I mean, tell me if I'm a fool, Sam, but and, and my wife does all the time. A lot of people do, right? But, like, it didn't look like it was that bad of a pitch. It looked like it was just one heck of a job by Abreu to to get his bat on that ball and get it over the over the wall. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a slider inside kind of at the hands. It was still in the zone. Um, and with him, that's a little bit of a no, no. Um, so it's a pitch that he has gotten to before and probably will continue to get to. American, um, but yeah, it was just, it, it was a pitch that he got to and he got me and it was kind of a welcome to the show moment um, for me, but no, I'm, yeah, it, it was, it was a cool moment in a weird way, but I, I'm definitely happy that I was able to get a couple strikeouts in the, in the inning. I hit you with two more. So, so you're, you're pitching arsenal. It's what fastball it starts with the fastball, fastball location, and then curveball slider changeup. Correct. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's, it's predominantly fastball, curveball. I have, I used to throw a cutter, and now it's kind of in slider. It's slidery. Um, it's kind of between a, a hybrid of a cutter and a slider. Um, trying to make it a little bit bigger, and then yes, I will throw a changeup. Not a lot, not very often. Um, and I will usually only throw the changeup when I'm starting games or kind of going an extended amount of innings. I'll leave you with this. Just anything you want to leave, you know, as, as people here in the Twin Cities will, will watch or listen to this, anything you want to leave, people that have, that have tracked you going back many, many years, any message you want to leave them with? Um, just kind of how I, how I started it. I appreciate um, everyone who has reached out. There's been an unbelievable amount of people that have reached out to me and congratulated me and it, it's been very cool to see and to be a part of um, I have a phenomenal support system and um, I'm very proud to call Minnesota my home and it will always be home and heck I guess Cleveland is is your second home I mean about as good an organization I would think I mean just with the track record of them developing pitchers like I have to imagine being in that Cleveland organization I mean, it has to be as good as it gets. Definitely. They've, like you said, they've, they're, they're kind of known for developing pitchers. Um, they've done it before. They've done it very recently. Um, there's a lot of young, very solid pitchers on our team. Um, and it's, it's very fun to be a part of because there are staff members and coaches that you can learn a lot from, but I think the players feed off of each other and the other pitchers feed off of each other even more, which is, it's definitely a fun environment to be a part of because you can learn from some of the game's best pitchers um, without really having to leave the clubhouse. Sam, thank you for your time. Continued success. Keep kicking butt the rest of this year, okay? Thank you. I appreciate it. I recall Sam, it was like 10th grade. He really hadn't even pitched that much. Then the Tri-City Red, his Legion team, used him on the mound, and it just it blew up from there. But even as a senior in high school, there were major league scouts that viewed him more as a hitter. 
that the bat played. He had a great bat in high school. Good first baseman. It was about, I don't know, maybe close to 50-50. Some scouts saying, hey, I think long-term he's a pitcher. Others saying, no, we want the bat. The Indians said, pitcher. And I would say, it took a while, but I would say it worked out brilliantly. So congratulations to a really good young man, Sam Hentges, on making his major league debut. All right, now to the Gopher basketball team. The day Peyton Willis committed to the Gophers, I tracked him down for a Zoom. We ended up using some of it on Channel 5, either that day or that next day. It was like, what, two Fridays ago. Peyton Willis, the former Gopher, is now back with the Gophers. In fact, right now, he is their starting point guard. The plan is for the Gophers to use Peyton Willis at point guard. Now, maybe Ben ends up bringing in a different point guard in the near future, but right now, as we look at it, Peyton Willis is the Gophers' starting point guard. I talked to Peyton. so. He was at Vanderbilt. He came here, left here, went to the College of Charleston, had a good year this past year, and now taking advantage of, of the free year, he's now back with the Gophers. So I caught up with new, and he's an old, Gophers guard, Peyton Willis. Peyton, congratulations. Just take us through your emotions as you're coming back here to Minnesota. Uh kind of at a loss for words um yeah I don't know (laughs) if I can even bring myself to words about it but um once I entered the transfer portal I wasn't even sure if I was going to go professional or come back to school and when coach Johnson hit me up it was just the perfect match I've had a um, great relationship with him since my high school days and um Eric Curry still being there on the staff certainly um helped it too so no I'm at a loss for words though but I'm happy and I'm excited to be back so take us through the process. So when did Ben first reach out? Like, did this thing all happen really fast? Um, Yeah, just as soon as I hit the um, transfer portal, I think it was, what is today, Friday, Tuesday, Tuesday night. We got on the phone, talked a little bit, and, um, yeah, it just went on it was quick from there. Who else was in the mix? So, like, was it hard to tell anybody no? Heck, was it hard to tell your new coach or your, well, your former program, Charleston, just hired who? Pat Kelsey. Like, yeah. did, did Coach Kelsey try to keep you there at Charleston? Who who was it hard to say no to? Um, Yeah, they for sure wanted me to come back, but it wasn't hard to say anybody. Like I said, um, I wasn't sure if I was going to end up going professional or use this last year eligibility or not. So it was either between Minnesota or going back somewhere close to home at the end of the day. What was that balancing act like, though, of you get the free year, but you do have professional aspirations that, that you did have to weigh. Okay, should I go pursue a professional career, even if it's overseas, but go make some money? Or should I play that extra year of college? Um, yeah, it was super tough. Um, I've been thinking about it ever since the buzzer rang um, for our last game. So, uh, yeah, like I said, it, for me coming back to college, it was going to have to be the perfect match. And I feel like this is it. How did your game evolve? So we last saw you here. I guess it would have been what the – the 1920 season, you had that really good game, I remember, against Wisconsin. Then you left. You had the one year at Charleston. So how has your game evolved over the last year? Um, I feel like for sure my point guard skills have gotten better. Um, I had the ball in my hands a lot more. Obviously, Marcus Carr was our main um, um, ball handler while I was there. So I feel like that's how my game has progressed this past year. Well, I mean, with those point guard 
you know, duties that, that you've had. Heck, you had him at Vanderbilt too. Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, yeah. is that the plan in, in your conversations with Ben? Is the plan to play you at point guard? Um, yeah, that is the plan to play me at point guard. So I'm not sure if I'm going to be the, the uh, main point guard or not, but I'm going to do whatever he asked me to do. And I mean, you said your relationship with Ben goes back. So he recruited you way back when, because technically when you were here, wasn't he at Xavier? Um, yeah, it was a crazy story. Actually, he recruited me out of high school. And then when I was leaving Vanderbilt, like a week before I was supposed to come on my visit to Minnesota, he was still recruiting me, but he took the Xavier job. So, yeah, he he left right before I came. So what was – take me back to Tuesday. So when the phone rings, it's it's Coach Ben Johnson. Did your face just light up? <laughs> yeah, it did. At first, at first, I didn't know if he was just calling to see see what was going on with me. But – but Eric sent me a text. He was like, yeah, Coach Johnson's about to call you. So I was like, I just started smiling. And um, just what he said was perfect, uh, what I wanted to hear. And it's just, I don't know, it just played out perfect. Expound on your relationship with Eric, that, that Eric is now a graduate assistant, that maybe a large part of you coming back here is the presence of Eric Curry on the staff. Yeah, it's a huge presence. Um, he was the reason I came there the first time, to be honest. Uh, that's my brother. Like he, when he, we go home, he stays at my house. Um, yeah, we're basically brothers now. So uh, I love Eric. I talk to him every day. And your three-point shot continues to to get better and better. Did I see at, at Charleston, Peyton? You shot it at about a forty percent clip. Yeah, I, I'll continue to prove um, my strengths and my weaknesses. I feel like I've gotten better all around, and certainly shooting three ball as well. Do you have any relationships with any of the current Gopher players? I mean, the roster <laughs> is so much different. Like, do you know Jamison Battle? Do you know EJ Stevens? Do you know any of these guys? Booth Gotch, anybody? Um, I know Booth from playing against him when I was there, when he was at Utah. Then I know Isaiah Enan, but that's it. I mean, is it nuts just in, in two years how much roster turnover there has been? Yeah, it's crazy how college basketball is nowadays. So, yeah, but... Um, we'll get the chemistry going when I get up there. Uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll we'll surprise some people this year. When is the plan for you to come up here? I have no idea. Whenever summer school starts. So uh, probably June. So your plan is just to stay down. Or are you home now where in Arkansas? Just continue to work out until you can get up here in June? Yeah, I'm still at school in Charleston right now. I'm... I'm going back to Arkansas in a couple of weeks. So I'll just be working out there till I, till I come up to Minneapolis. Anything else we should know is, is we tell your story once again, is, is we welcome you back here to Minnesota. Anything else you want Gophers fans to know? Uh, yeah, they're there for a surprise. Um, people for sure going to be down on this this year, but uh, we're going to shock some people. I don't know. I mean, let's see what the full roster looks like. Maybe, but it's a new beginning. There's, there's a lot of excitement up here with, with coach Ben Johnson. And I mean, mm -hmm. heck, I mean, you'll all be starting at that kind of that same level. It's not like Ben has a huge relationship with with anybody, really. So like, hey, you guys are all in this thing together is the way I look at it. Yep, yep. Perfect. Peyton, I'll certainly be in touch. Safe travels as you get back up here in the in the coming months and all the best as you wrap up school down there in, in Charleston. Thank you. I appreciate you for having me. I have no doubt that at different times next Gophers basketball season, Peyton Willis will be setting up Parker Fox for some baskets. Some alley-oops. Parker Fox is a new Gopher. 
He committed to the Gophers over a week ago, like one or two weeks ago. Former Matamidi High School star. Was one of the best players the last couple of years in Division Two at Northern State. He had myriad options. Like I'm telling you, Creighton so badly wanted Fox. Florida State wanted Fox. Ohio State wanted Fox. He told all those schools no. He told Ben Johnson and the Gophers yes. Here's my conversation with Parker Fox after his decision to commit to the Gophers. Parker, congratulations. Why, or maybe the better question is, why not Minnesota? Was this an easy decision for you? Yeah, you know, I think this this process moved, you know, a little slow and 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 was fun and exciting, um, you know, overwhelming and stressful and, you know, all different types of emotions. But, um, you know, when it came down to it, um, there's just no way I could turn turn this down and say no. Um, you know, Minnesota's my home. Um, I grew up wanting to be a gopher my whole life. Um, and, and there's no better ending to, to my college career than than finishing it off in Minneapolis. And, um, you know, just the relationship I built with Coach Johnson, you know, Coach Kemp and Coach Thorson um, was next level. And, um, you know, I couldn't imagine um, not being in Minnesota. Um, I fully trust, you know, Ben's plan. And I'm so excited to be a gopher. When you say that relationship, those relationships are next level. Expound on that. What does that mean to you? Yeah, just trust. You know, I think I think the process can be crazy, especially with the way the transfer portal has gone and, and everything um, nowadays. Um, and, and finding out who you can trust is huge. Um, I know I can trust Ben. You know, I think um, I think a lot of coaches you think you can trust and you can get into a program and, and maybe not know what's going to happen. But I, I know I can trust Ben and I know Ben's got my back. Um, not only Coach Johnson, but, you know, um, the other coaches as well. Um, so just that's why my process took a little longer, just just finding and knowing that I can, you know, not only trust them uh, for the next one to two years, um, but for my future as well, you know, with uh, my pro career and, you know, obviously the, ball, the ball's going to stop bouncing as one, at one point. Um, so, you know, my professional career as well. So when you say one to two years, I mean, you do have what, two years of eligibility remaining. You have it in your mind, like if all goes well next year. Could that be it? Or in your mind, Parker, are you saying, okay, I will be a gopher for two seasons? Yeah, I mean, I think I'll always be a gopher. You know, that's a, that's the special thing about it. And like you said, I do have two years of eligibility. Um, so it's obviously going to depend on how next year goes uh, for sure. But, but I think, you know, where my mindset is at, um, you know, I want to be, I want to be in Minneapolis. I want to be a part of a program. Um, and not only a part of a program, I want to be a part of something special that, that can build this program back up where it needs to be. Um, you know, I, I, this program needs to be um, where Trevor Bakwe and Rodney Williams and all those guys had it before, you know, just this special, special thing to me. And um, whatever it takes for, for me to get there with, with these guys is, is what I want to do. So, um, you know, I, I, like I said, I want to be in Minneapolis. I want to be on campus um, for obviously as long as I can. Um, so, no, I'm just excited, excited to, to be a part of this process. Maybe even a level or two higher with all respect to Rodney, Trevor. Vincent Greer, those guys. I mean, Parker, if you go back to technically 1997, does it exist in the record books? But it exists in, in my mind. I was a high school senior back then. I vividly remember the, the Final Four run. But even since then, Tubby Smith led a Gophers team to one NCAA tournament win. It was against Shabazz Muhammad in UCLA late on a Friday night. They then lose to Florida in the round of 32. Tubby is then fired. Richard Patino comes in in all his years here, 
He led the Gophers to one NCAA tournament win. It was that Gabe Kausher game against Louisville. You know, then they end up losing. There were injuries. They end up losing to who? Michigan State. But really, like, if you go back, Parker, 24 years, only two NCAA wins. Like, my thought is, like, you need to help change that. Like, we need to see more NCAA tournament wins around here. No doubt. That's what it's all about. You know, I've uh, I've been a part of the Division II level. You know, 107 wins, 11. I've won 11 NCAA tournament games. Um, you know, I think that's why um, Ben wants me to be a part of this program. Not only because I want to be there, but because I know what it takes to to get to that next level and, and help a team win. Um, you know, obviously it's going to be an adjustment, and the game's bigger, the game's faster, the game's stronger. Um, but I want to be a part of this program, and I want to help this program get to where it needs to be. Um, I think that's you know that's kind of the the mold and the makeup of the kind of guys that um, you know Ben wants as a part of his program. You know, guys that have a chip on their shoulder and guys that want to prove people wrong. Um, and we're going to come in and work and we're going to work as hard as we can and, and let the results play out for themselves. Um, but at the end of the day, um, Ben's going to get the right guys and we fully trust what he's going to do with this program. And, and we can't wait to see, you know, how special it can be. On the bigger, stronger, faster, how much are you ready to just embrace that challenge that everything you accomplished at, at Northern, you are, you are fully prepared to, to tackle this Big Ten challenge? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a challenge for me, um, adjusting to the Division II level. Um, and, and I took it on and, and I, I made it, um, you know, what I could make it. So um, I've always kind of been doubted out. I've always had that chip on my shoulder. And, you know, I've just put my head down and worked. So uh, I think at the end of the day, people can, can say this and that about the program. Um, but nothing matters until we play the games. And, and nothing matters until, you know, the, the final horn sounds. Um, so, no, I'm just super excited to to get home and to start working again and uh, get back to where uh, we need to be, uh, obviously individually, but as a program as well. You know, basketball is a, the ultimate team sport, and uh, this is about coming together as a group, um, bonding with one another, um, working hard, um, and going out and winning basketball games. How much fun was it to help put together the, the video you put on social media last night? Like, you're not lying. When you say that, that you grew up a Gophers fan, there were some photos from you as, as a youngster at Williams Arena, one with Goldie, or maybe it was multiple with Goldie. Like, your fandom, your Gophers fandom started many years ago. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, that just shows, you know, my true, my true love for the, the university and, um, you know, all the athletic programs. I remember, you know, skating with the Gophers at Mariucci Arena. Um, I remember... Um, you know, going to go for basketball games, you know, getting there early, watching the guys warm up. And I remember being a court kid and uh, sweeping the floors during timeouts and just imagining what it would be like to, you know, actually step on that floor and, and play basketball for the Gophers. And, um, you know, a huge credit to my teammate here, Andrew Coleman, for helping me put that video together. He um, took the time out of his day and we got to put that thing together. And, um, you know, it, it's special. It really is special. Um, and I'm just, you know, that's a video I'll have for the rest of my life. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of people were tweeting at me, this is a tearjerker and stuff like that. And, you know, it was a tearjerker to me too. It's, you know, I'm coming home and, you know, I'm right where I belong. So. I mean, what has the feedback, you know, been like, I mean, have you checked all your mentions? I mean, has it been overwhelming, but I also imagine, I mean, it has to be enjoyable. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. You know, it's tough to it's tough to keep up on the mentions and everything. And I, and I try to tell everybody, thank you. And I appreciate their support, but um, it's a little, it's a little much, but um, no, I, I love it. It's uh, it's, it's perfect. And I can't, I can't thank everybody enough for, for not only supporting um, me, but for continuing to support this program. Um, 
and we're just excited, like I said, to get together and work. Um, you know, the, 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 the thank yous and everything like that are great. Um, but we want to make this program program really great. So we're ready to get to get back to Minneapolis as a group and start to work. So do you have a sense on, on how Ben wants to use you? Do you think he'll have you guard fours? Maybe even based on matchups, guard fives that, that you'll probably end up playing the four and the five. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like you said, it's a matchup thing. You know, I think Ben wants to, you know, get out and run, kind of play a pro style offense, you know, which which entails, you know, having athletic guys on the court, guys that can, you know, switch ball screens, but also, you know, matchups are huge too. So, you know, if uh, um, we have to do certain matchup things as well, but I think we just want to get this offense moving a little bit more and rolling and, um, you know, making fun plays, throwing dunks down, getting out in transition, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, like you said, you know, a four or five role is um, what we've kind of discussed and talked about. Um, but at the end of the day, we're, we're just out there playing um, and, you know, whatever happens kind of free flows in, in the respect of the game. Um, but no, I'm, you know, like I said, that that's why that trust with Ben is so huge is I trust his game plan and um, you know, what he's got going forward and, you know, we know we can, um, you know, we can, once we get a couple more pieces and, and get this thing right, we can, we can make it super special. I was just looking at a list on, on ESPN.com. One of their national guys listed all the, I mean, there's 1200 players in the portal. He had a list of his, of his top 100. I think he had you 98th. It doesn't matter where he had you, but, but he attached the label of, of bouncy to you. And for those of us who watch the, the YouTube clips. Yeah. I mean, that's a good way to describe you, but is your comeback, hey, just don't pigeonhole me as, as somebody who's bouncy, that there's a lot more to my game? Oh, no doubt. There's, you know, there's a, there's a lot more to my game. Um, you know, my versatility is um, kind of what allows me to be um, so special. Yeah, I can, you know, jump up and make highlight blocks and dunks. And, and that's something I do at an extremely high level. And it's um, something I'm going to continue to do at a, um, you know, hopefully a high level. Um, but, you know, I, I do things on the floor as well. You know, I've, I've really improved my ball handling skills. You know, I can grab a rebound and, you know, get out in transition and go, um, you know, like things like a Euro step instead of, you know, people trying to take a charge instead of trying to jump over them, you know, Euro step around them. Um, and, and I think especially in the defensive end as well, my, my length and my versatility allows me um, to, you know, switch a ball screen or, you know, try to stay in front of a guard or, or block a shot at the rim. And, um, you know, just little aspects of the game offensively as well, you know, setting a good ball screen, setting a good pin down screen, all those, all the little things that, you know, go unseen and then, just continuing to prove my jump shot. You know, I, uh, I think it's just a, a thing with confidence and repetition. And I, and I know my jump shot's there, just continuing to improve that thing and, um, you know, get it solid with confidence and, 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 you know, just, just be a complete overall player um, for this university. To add to the coolness of, of this story, Parker. So Sean Sutherland, right? Like you guys go back to the heat AAU, you guys played AAU together, and now all these years later, you guys will be Gophers teammates. Yeah, it's uh, it's special. I remember, you know, a couple of years ago, it's probably five years now. Um, me and Sean just grinding to try to get a Division two offer. Um, you know, at, at tournaments in St. Cloud or you know tournaments in the cities, you know, in front of these coaches, like all we wanted was this Division two offer, and you know, I got one, and, and Sean took the JUCO route, and you know, ended up in New Hampshire, and. You know, we were just messaging each other right before I hopped on here and just saying how special how special this is. You know, we get to we get to play and to be a part of a program um, from the city we're from. And like we never you know, you ask us that five years ago, it was a dream. But, you know, we never thought we could could get here. But, you know, we both put our heads down and worked and, and now we're here and, you know, kind of like the city is ours type of thing. And we get to do our thing and 
uh, play basketball for the university that we love. Um, so no, it's, it's, uh, it's extremely special and it's extremely, you know, exciting that I get to do it with a guy that I, you know, know and trust. And, you know, I'll know I'll have my relationship with Sean for a very long time. And uh, we're excited to get to work, not only individually, but together. Take us through the next few weeks and months. So, so you'll move back here to Minnesota this weekend and, and get in the gym. But like, when can you get in the gym with Ben, with, with your new teammates? Yeah, yeah. So I don't think um, that starts until June uh, with, uh, you know, rules and everything like that. But I'm uh, going to move home this weekend. Yep. And, um, you know, get home and start start working out and grinding and, and, and uh, you know, being the best version of myself. And then once that time comes to, to move uh, down to Dinkytown, it's just a, you know, quick 20 minute drive to Minneapolis and, you know, getting settled and, and getting ready to work. Um, so, you know, we uh, we're going to round this roster out. Ben's going to get this thing right. And we're going to, you know, get, get, get downtown and, and just start to work. And, uh, uh, we're super excited and I'm super excited. Obviously it's, it's going to be tough to leave, um, where I am now. And I have a lot of love for, you know, the town of Aberdeen and Northern state university. And, you know, it'll probably be an emotional day. Um, you know, I'm hoping to get back up for graduation as well, to walk in the ceremony. Um, and that's a, that's a very important thing to me as well, because, you know, I've worked really hard on, you know, earning my degree and the relationships I've built with people here are, are huge and their relationships that I'll have for the rest of my life. Um, so I'm going to miss this place like crazy, but you know, I'm, I'm ready. And I know um, this is the next, you know, part of my life and I'm ready for this next journey, um, you know, in Minneapolis. There were so many schools that reached out. I mean, we're talking what over, over 100, many of, of the high major variety. You had many, many offers. Who was the toughest to say no to? So you say yes to the Gophers. Who was the hardest to say no to? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I would say, um, you know, that top eight was, they were all tough. You know, I cut that list down a couple of weeks ago um, just because they were eight programs that I can see myself at. Um, and um, I would say, you know, all of them, you know, TCU, Texas Tech, San Diego State, Florida State, Ohio State, you know, Creighton, Vanderbilt. You know all these all these different programs, Dayton. You know um, they were all tough to say no to, and um, I really appreciate how each program went about the process. You know, class acts, and um, you know they all texted me and they're happy for me, and I got to you know get on the phone and, and thank you for thank them for taking you know their time and investing in, in me and my family. You know it was a it was a long crazy process with a lot of Zoom calls, a lot of a lot of phone calls, but um, you know I think for the most part. Um, you know, they're happy for me and, and they're going to be cheering me on in my future. And, um, you know, that's exciting to know. I think, I think relationships are huge and the way you treat people is extremely important. Um, so that's why it was huge for me to, you know, call each coach individually and, and express my, you know, my gratitude and say, thank you. I think, I think that can go a long way. Just, you know, kind of the person you are is, um, you know, how you, how you carry yourself and, um, what kind of person uh, you are is big and, you know, that's, that's important to me. So obviously it was extremely tough. Um, but I just couldn't say no to, to this program and Coach Johnson, and, and I'm extremely, extremely grateful that I get to be a Golden Gopher. So you know Sean. Do you know Jameson? Do you know Trayton Thompson? Do you know Booth Gotch? Like, do you have any relationships with any other guys? Yeah, yeah. So I played against Booth in high school. Um, you know, Trayton, just known because Minnesota guy. And then, you know, J-Mo. JMO used to come to open gyms uh, at Matamidi and, you know, I used to play uh, with them, you know, at open gyms at, at Benilde and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, I know these guys, you know, surface level kind of, kind of relationships, um, but, you know, I'm excited to dig deeper and, you know, I've been talking to EJ and Luke today and, 
just building that relationship. And, you know, these guys are, they just seem like great guys. You know, I think, I think Ben knows what kind of guys he wants in his program. And I think um, Minnesota should be excited to know that, you know, these guys are, are special kids, you know, they're a lot of mid-major kids and, you know, a lot of, a lot of kids that excelled at their level and are ready to, you know, prove them wrong at the next level. You know, that's always been my thing is to prove others wrong and make people doubt, you know, um, saying no to you and that kind of thing. And, you know, just having a chip on your shoulder and um, I'm just excited to build these relationships and from what I've seen so far that, you know, they're great dudes and uh, super, super excited to, to be a part of a family with them um, and to make this thing, make this thing go. Are you working on, on any other kids? I mean, there are still a, a handful of, of scholarship openings. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's uh, you know, five openings and, you know, anything I can do to help this program is what I want to do, whether it's, you know, you know, Ben texts me, Hey, get on this guy or something like that. You know, I think that's what Sean did to me. That's what all these other guys did to me. And, and we're excited to um, jump on that. And like you said, we all fully trust coach Johnson and his vision. Um, so whatever he says is, you know, we're ready to jump on that and, you know, whatever kind of guy it may be. Um, so we're excited to round this thing off and, um, you know, get a full roster and, and uh, be a part of a super special thing. Um, you know, like you said, keeping, keeping Minnesota guys home is huge. You know, Sean, J-Mo, Trayton, um, you know, guys like that is, you know, keeping them in the program is, is extremely important. You know, it's, I think, I would argue Minnesota high school basketball is up there with any state um, in terms of talent and, um, in terms of uh, level of playing it, especially at the next level, you see, you know, guys like, like Gary, Trey, Tyus, you know, McKinley, all these kind of guys, like you can go down the list of studs that have, you know, moved on to different universities. And um, it's important to keep these guys home and, and to have pride in your university. Um, especially for me, I uh, have pride in where you came from and, and, and go and play in, in front of the barn in front of these crazy fans. It's a, it's a, it's a exciting, exciting deal. Yeah, I mean, even Theo John today decides on on Duke. I know Ben made made an effort. Now, one of his Marquette guys is is now down at Duke. So, I mean, there's there's that connection. But, but yeah, I mean, I I, I hear you. Anything you want to leave Gophers fans with, Parker? Anything that that we didn't hit on that that we should talk about? No, I just just want to say thank you to to everybody who's um, you know reached out and expect expressed love and interest and um, you know gratitude. Um, Towards them and uh, obviously it's hard to say thank you to every single person individually but I just want to say thank you um, to those those who have reached out and, and want to support not only me but this program um, and I'm super excited to, to get back and, and start working and I'm super super grateful that I get to be a golden gopher and um, I'm going to work extremely hard not only for for my own personal um, success but for this university and uh, we're excited to get this thing rocking. I will throw a thank you your way thank you for being so so accessible as, as you know, we've cultivated a relationship and heck in the, in the coming weeks, months over the next year, maybe two years, we'll, we'll, I'm sure do, do a few more of these. So I appreciate your time. For sure. No, I appreciate you and everything you do and uh, go Gophers. Personable young man, good young man, all the best to Parker Fox. I've gotten some tweets, people asking me, there's some rumors going around about Parker tearing his ACL. For what it's worth, I texted Parker. I said, hey, you know, a few people have shown up in my in my notifications column on TweetDeck asking if I knew about you tearing your ACL. He told me no. He has not torn his ACL. Now, he's been scrimmaging. He's been working out. So is it entirely possible he injured himself? Yes. But I don't think he'd lie. Like, Journalism 101, why is this person lying to me? I don't think there's any reason for Parker to lie to me 
about tearing his ACL unless it hasn't been diagnosed yet. But I don't think there's any reason for him to lie to me because that would inevitably come out. Maybe not right this second, but it would come out pretty soon. So I do take him at face value. When he tells me he hasn't torn his ACL, I trust him on that. Parker Fox should be the Gophers starting power forward next season. All right, next episode, 347. So Desmond Howard for sure, Randy Mueller for sure, Mark Coyle for sure. So I caught up with Mark earlier this week. I didn't want this podcast, episode 346, to be two, two and a half hours. And I knew that I went a while with Thor Nystrom. So I will save my 30-minute conversation with the Gophers Athletic Director for early next week. All the talking points are still applicable. Everything he said still makes sense uh, a few days later. So Mark Coyle will be on that podcast and some hockey talk with new Gophers forward Grant Crookshank. His mom is Bonnie Blair, the legendary Olympian. So Grant just transferred to the Gophers, turned down a bunch of different opportunities. He was the captain at Colorado College. Good goal scorer. So really good get for Bob Motzko. So for sure, on the next Scoop podcast, Desmond Howard, Randy Mueller, Mark Coyle, Grant Crookshank, and we'll see what else comes about in the next few days. Always appreciate you listening. Have the rest of your weekend be wonderful. Stay safe. Stay sane. This has been Scoop Podcast episode 346.